to the Bend Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with co-hostess and musical talent, Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Bend's locally owned newspaper. And thanks to our new sponsor, Easy Float. Floating combines 10 inches of water saturated with nearly 1,000 pounds of Epsom salt, heated to the body's temperature in a float pod to create an environment where the user can basically experience nothing at all, which actually seems pretty good right now, to be honest. Uh, there are many benefits like stress reduction, pain relief, faster healing and recovery times, improved relaxation, and you'll enjoy significantly improved sleep, which also sounds really good right now. Uh, check out easyfloat.com or better yet, go to sourceperks.com for a special offer. Our guest today is Anthony Broadman, local attorney, he is, was elected Ben's city councilor for position two in the most recent election. He's already engaged in city politics, has been spearheading the effort uh, to expand restaurant seating downtown and introduce proposals to city council to provide childcare for those who want to volunteer on city committee meetings and work groups. We wanted to have Anthony on today to talk about a recent campaign he's helped lead to get Ben Lapine students back in school as soon as possible. Anthony, along with all of Ben's current city councilors, newly elected city councilors, county commissioner-elect Phil Chang, some members of the Ben Lapine School Board, sent a letter to Governor Kate Brown and the Oregon Department of Education Director Colt Gill asking if they make in-person education a bigger priority. The letter asked for resources to test teachers and students who want to return. They also asked that elementary school students return to school by January 4th, regardless of local testing statistics. Does that sound, Anthony, that sound accurate? That's all accurate. Thanks, okay. Aaron. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let, let's jump into the school issue first, and we'll circle back and hear more about uh, plans for city council in the recent election. And um, sure. first, for our listeners, can you describe just what inspired this group to get together surrounding this letter? Well, I think what inspired me was my wife, who's a pediatrician locally, who is seeing children struggling so much with the lack of in-person school. And I think what really inspired this very broad-based group politically um, and from different organizations within the community, for instance, Representative Helt also signed on to the letter. I think what um, inspired most of us is a recognition that we need to prioritize public education. And the way we do that is by prioritizing workplace safety for staff and teachers. The data that we have now, and I'm not by any means a public health expert, but it's now becoming clear that um, at least K through five and, and young kids in elementary school if we are keeping teachers and staff safe, number one, we can get them back into the classroom without contributing significantly to the spread of this terrible disease. Shortly after our letter came out, I was thrilled to see President-elect Biden make in-person education a priority in his COVID-19 response. So I think we need to recognize that the data is, is changing. The data out of Europe is suggesting again that kids in school aren't a significant source of the transmission of this disease, but this has to come from a place of um, really, I think, uh, sort of walking our talk when it comes to progressives and even the people who aren't progressive who signed off on this letter 
of making sure that teachers and staff are safe, number one, and emphasizing that public school education is a priority in our community. It is the priority right after making sure that our hospitals um, and our, our frontline healthcare workers are able to keep us as safe as possible. So what are some of the things that you feel like the state needs to prioritize to make this happen? Well, I think that, you know, not, not everything that works in New York City is going to work in Bend. Um, we are an exceptional place. We are our own city. But I certainly think that if this can be accomplished in New York, which has been hit really hard by this virus, that we should at least look at whether it's possible here and whether it's possible in Oregon. So uh, again, I'm not a public health expert, but what is working in New York and what has been accepted and championed by the teachers unions um, in New York and what I expect will be part of the reopening process in Chicago next month is a systematic testing of all staff and uh, teachers and students on a 20% rolling basis. So we don't have really good institutional testing anywhere in Bend right now. We have testing. If you go in for surgery, you're going to be tested. Um, but if we are rolling testing, everybody who walks in and out of the, of the door of a school building we're gonna have, I hope, a lot better data about where these outbreaks are happening and what we can do to mitigate the spread. So I think this all hinges on testing. Obviously that all hinges on funding, right? The, right. School, um, the school system needs to focus on, the school system, I say that uh, sort of nationwide, citywide, countywide, statewide, needs to be focused on keeping teachers and staff safe so that kids can get back into school. One of the, Anthony, one of the things that I've, I found, and you mentioned it earlier, that was, I, I wouldn't say shocking, but, you know, kind of a surprise was that you did get bipartisan uh, across the board buy-in on the idea of this coming forward. And Laurel and I have talked on several of the other podcasts about how disappointing it's been to see this issue devolve into red and blue. I mean, I know it's really comfortable. So was there any initial trepidation? Because it's, it, it has been the blue side that's been kind of reluctant to make this push. And um, you know, it's been encouraging to see that with this letter. Yeah. And I mean, one of my goals as a volunteer public servant in this community is to bridge this divide as much as I can. I was sort of heartbroken over what I saw as the partisanship in the last cycle. And um, I really want to break that. I think that Bend can be different. I think that Bend can set aside a lot of um, what, what has been really counterproductive partisan baloney, frankly, and, and focus on <laughs> solutions that work for the whole city. And I, I want to see that. And I think this letter is maybe a small part of that. Hopefully, I'm sure we'll have setbacks when it comes to getting rid of partisanship. But this is a promising first step. And as a progressive Democrat, I'm not willing to cede ground on workplace safety. Um, protecting workers, making sure that people have a livable wage, can afford to stay in this city, and that we can ensure that we're prioritizing public school education, which is the single greatest equalizer in our country. Um, I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to sit back and, as a progressive Democrat, and give up our ground. We are. Um, we are the champions of working people. We are the champions of getting kids educated, and um, providing uh, an avenue to to um, to everybody in our community. So um, that's why I was really eager to um, work on this issue and try to voice what I'm hearing from constituents on the right and the left. And um, I hope that it's a harbinger for, you know, 
working together um, on bigger and, and other issues that we have ahead of us. Anthony, what, one of the things um, that you, you've mentioned, and it certainly is the hurdle, is you know the finances of this. I mean, at a certain point, um, do you believe, and, and I'll just preface, I, I do believe that you can't buy your way out of a, a pandemic when it comes to getting kids back to school. I mean, all the workplace measures that you can make, I mean, we can barely afford to get pencils and crayons to kids. How are we gonna get them all plexiglass shields and teachers come in? Do you feel there's a point at which we're gonna have to, you know, make, make some sacrifices? Absolutely. I mean, wouldn't the most beautiful silver lining of this pandemic be a new realization of how critical it is to fund public education? If we can come out of this with all of the loss of life, with all of the disruption of our society, with all of the trauma that's been built in, and we haven't even been able to grieve, you know, the people that we've lost. If, if the silver lining of all of this is that we focus more intently and and really honor our teachers, honor the staff, honor the people who are working so hard to get our kids educated. That will be um, sort of a beautiful part of this entire tragedy that I would that I would love to see, but it's absolutely going to take funding. And I'm, I think we're waiting to hear at any point whether um, our governmental partners in DC are going to do the right thing and, and get a new funding package out. And if that happens, I, you know, I would love to see I would love to not have to wait for President Biden um, to really emphasize reopening as a part of that funding package. I hope that there's flexible parts of the um, sort of CARES II or whatever we're going to call it that will allow the state to fund very intentionally testing measures to uh, you know lower the size of, of class, uh, classroom attendance and protect teachers who, who can get back to school. So under the current guidelines, it's technically possible to have a cohort of 20 kids and they can come in two hours a day. Do you feel like Ben Lapine schools are utilizing that exception and um, taking full advantage of it? Laurel, I don't know. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've struggled with is, and I think everybody has struggled with, is where is the public health guidance coming from? Are we looking straight to ODE, OHA? Is there discretion at the school district level to talk to, for instance, Dr. Conway and, and ask directly, is it safe for us to um, do these LIPI classes or, or even emphasize them more? Um, so I, I would just say, I don't know. I, I, I trust our school board um, to date. I think they've done an exceptional job of navigating a really, really difficult situation. I, I think that now we have additional data. We have additional data and it tells us, I think, I hope, that, these are, that there is a safe route for these kids to get back into in-person education. And, and I think that, look, I, I mean, Again, I, thankfully, I don't run the Oregon Department of Education or the Oregon Health Authority, but these public health experts, this governor, have put us in a situation where we are able to have these conversations. We are in such a better situation than our neighbors to the east. Look at how terrible the transmission rates and the positivity rates and the numbers are in Idaho. They're worse than us, and they have you know one-fourth of the number of people. So 
I think we have to give credit to the officials who have gotten us to where we are to be able to have these conversations. And I think now it's, you know, it's incumbent on all of us as, as policy leaders and just members of the community to focus on, on what's going to get us to the next step. One of the things I really uh, was uh, drew my attention was kind of inspired by was kind of the, that other piece that you put in the letter about the January 4, like regardless of local testing statistics that this, the people on that letter are pushing for getting these kids back to some level of socialization with their peers. It's kind of pointing to, I, I'm sure these are dinner table conversations with your wife where, you know, it's really evident if, you, if you're not a parent, you're, you may not see it as much as someone like your wife is in pediatrics. But, um, you know, back east where the testings, I know this from, you know, shout out to Jeff Eager and his Oregon Roundup. I mean, Oregon's um, Oregon is one of only six states that is not currently testing or currently allowing some in-person education. So we are, we do feel that we're pretty unique and, and I'm hoping that at least that aspect of the uniqueness could end on January 4th and that we do, regardless of whether the funding comes through, move forward. Do you support that? So I, again, I'm not a public health expert, but I look at other communities. I look at the country of France, which has triple or has had triple the positivity rates that we've had here in Deschutes County. And they have focused on testing and been able to keep kids in schools. I look at New York, which opened this week, which has similar numbers right now. And obviously they've had much worse numbers. Sure. Um, I look at Chicago opening next month. So I, I don't think that, I think that our experts are every bit as smart as Chicago and Paris and New York. I, I, I just think we need, we know that there's a way we need to sort of ask ourselves now whether there's a will. The, the will has to be, are we willing to ensure that we are going to keep teachers and staff safe? Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, to me, January 4th is, is realistic. And, and Dr. Conway in, um, in his press conference earlier this week said that it was possible, said that it was realistic. So, uh, you know, my goal would be to, to be bold and, and, and hope that, um, I hope that our governmental partners can get us again in a situation to um, put measures in place to keep teachers and staff safe. Yeah, it's great. I hope the will's there. I, I would yeah. agree. So we thought we'd move on to talking about city council. Um, during the race, you campaigned on a number of pressing issues in our community, including homelessness and the need for a permanent winter warming shelter. Um, and that race may have inspired some action on the part of the current city council because now they're considering buying a, a shelter. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what is happening right now and what your plans are for addressing this in the future? Sure. So the, Laurel, what the, the project that you're referring to, I'm really excited about using the project turnkey, which is, this isn't going to solve all of our homelessness problems. Um, this isn't going to get all of the people experiencing homelessness into um, a supportive, sustainable situation, but it's one part of a bigger approach. And so I think that's a perfect example. This is not going to be one solution. This is going to require a holistic approach. We know that we had a, we had a, population of people in Bend who were experiencing homelessness around 12% before the pandemic. I don't think there's any reason to believe that that number is going to go down. In fact, I think, you know, applying Occam's razor is probably going to 
be um, significantly higher, especially after the eviction moratorium ends. So um, I, I, and, and I think there's just a general consensus among uh, city leadership that we need to take a holistic approach to this. That's um, listening and acting on something that looks a lot like what's been planned for the Juniper Ridge um, facility and, and also projects like turnkey. And then, and, and looking at this, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of, my, my lawyer brain only works in, in very limited ways. Obviously I'm not a, a home, uh, uh, affordable housing expert, but there are people who are about to be experiencing homelessness. And there are people who have just, um, tipped into experiencing homelessness, whether that's because of, um, losing, losing their job or other situ, you know, other factors related to COVID. I think we need to focus on preventing and getting people out. And the way we do that is by funding and being intentional about supportive housing options, things like turnkey, things like Juniper Ridge, things like permanent supportive housing and a navigation center. This is all gonna cost money. This is all, um, it's great to campaign on this, but if you do not fund these solutions, um, they won't work. So uh, I'm committed to advocating for a sustainable, supportive approach to getting people out of uh, houselessness and preventing those folks who are, who are struggling. And there's going to be a lot of us um, in, the, in the coming months and years, making sure that we have a safety net to prevent them from slipping in um, to houselessness. Um, I'm really excited about Project Turnkey though. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we've, the funding aspect, especially during these times, is going to be uh, a PR, a, P, a big PR part of your new uh, job as a city councilor. Definitely, and yeah. but I, I mean, the thing that, the thing that, again that we can all agree on, whether you're a progressive Democrat or a conservative Republican, is that we're not willing to live in a community where people freeze to death. Right. We're not willing to live in a community where we have to call on the clergy every October to scramble to keep people safe. Um, these are our neighbors. They are experiencing homelessness. And uh, I hope we can find, again, some, some common ground across our city to come up with a solution that really um, holds, us, holds us all to the same standard we know in our hearts is, is right. I think that, you know, one thing that's, I think, favorable for PR now is that it, with the pandemic, I think the homelessness or houselessness, as you're saying, is um, it's just more visible now. I mean, I think that people who live here have been used to a community where <clears throat> that's not something that they see as much as say right. they would if they were living in a bigger city. But anybody who's driven around near the Lowe's area or goes out to China Hat Road um, can see that those are expanding communities that uh, where people are suffering and and they're and we really have let them down. How uh, I, I I just am intrigued by the idea that as an incoming council member, you're faced with this like you know PR part of your position now, where you get out and and make people more aware of these kind of issues. Well, that's the job, right? I mean, that it's not a job. That's the volunteer position. Right. That's that's why we put ourselves out there to try to solve these problems that are affecting everybody. And you know, uh, I actually really like that part of it because we get to learn from a lot of different people and and listen. The transport transportation was also another big part of the campaign, and it's um, something that uh, was that transportation bond was passed at the same time that you guys are rolling in. So some of that is already put to bed. What do you think you can do? as an incoming counselor to kind of shape that with the new um, 
mandate that you guys came in on. Yeah, I think you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a very clear mandate. Um, the bond passed um, comfortably and it was the voters of Ben speaking very loudly about what their priorities are when it comes to a progressive connected transportation system that allows everybody in this city to get around. And so we're, we're going to have funding soon once these bonds start getting sold. But we as a community, and part of this will be the Transportation Bond Oversight Committee, which is going to be staffed soon, we'll need to prioritize the projects that actually fix the acute problems in our community. That is east to west connections. That is making sure that every kid can get to and from school safely. Um, and, and so the, the key here and what we can do, look, we're not going to wave a magic wand and fix congestion, the, the, the little congestion that um, people are very concerned about. It's, it's, it's high on the list of concerns for people in Bend, but we can prioritize the efficient uses of bond dollars and other transportation dollars to, um, you know, to fix the intersections that we know people are struggling with, to make sure, again, that we have safe routes to school, to make sure, can a 10-year-old ride their bike from Big Sky Park to Shelvin Park? Can a 10-year-old ride their bike from this new library site at the north end of town to China Hat? That's the kind of city that I think the voters have told us very clearly they want to live in. They want to live in a city where it's safe for every type of user to get around. Um, and and the, the rubber hits the road appropriately be, uh, where we prioritize these projects. Um, so I'm committed to looking right out of the gate. How can we, you know, how can we fix the most acute problems? I'm kind of intrigued by this idea that I started throwing around that, you know, we our offices are right on Bond Street. So, I mean, during this pandemic, traffic along Bond has been reduced to a trickle. I mean, if you you didn't know any better, you'd think we had the best transportation system in the country right now. Yeah. But at the same time, all of these people are are creating the Zoom town and they're zooming in and they're getting in these houses and they're filling them up and and the community's expanded. And I have a feeling once this vaccine rolls out that we're going to see congestion like we've never seen before. <clears throat> and it's going to come after a time when people are just kind of peeking out of their houses and getting back on the roads. And um, that could be something you're facing. I know I'm just riffing right now, but it's no, gonna, I, yeah. I think you've, I, again, I think that's exactly the problem we're facing. We are, we are still on a transportation system that was built for a smaller city. And that's why I think the voters were willing to make this pretty significant expenditure, almost $200 million dollars. Um, which is just one part of the transportation system. We're gonna we're gonna be spending a lot more than two hundred million dollars over the next twenty years to make sure that this is a place where, you know, if the if the estimates are even conservative, we're gonna have another 55,000 people here, and um, we we have to have a transportation system that works for a city of a hundred and of one hundred and fifty thousand people. So speaking of that growth, which is going to be astronomical over the next even 15 years, <clears throat> what are some of the solutions that you have for making sure that like there's uh, housing for all for the entire economic spectrum with so many people moving here and they have salaries from other cities? Um, you know, this has been a problem for like probably two decades, but it's going to be even more acute with Zoomtown. So you said it, you're, you're on board with the Zoomtown phrase now officially. <laughs> well, 
Go ahead, Anthony. We're going to be hearing this for, we're going to be hearing Zoomtown for some time. I don't it's going to be one of those words that I think in 2022, people are going to go, don't, don't say that anymore. Don't say it. It's <laughs> like, yeah, it's like pivoting and blog and it's things totally that excise out of our I'm down with it now, though. But Anthony, okay. go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it's yeah, it's pretty clear that um, we're going to need to manage and intentionally plan for the growth that we're seeing right now. We're seeing it right now, even though people aren't on the streets. Um, we we cannot simply cater to um, Zoom towners. Maybe you can edit that out. Um, <laughs> no, you got to rage uh, with it right now. It's the thing. Um, <laughs> who, who see a million dollar single family house as a bargain. We need to look inward and make sure that we have sustainable, complete neighborhoods for middle income and lower income people in the interior of our city. The answer to this is not sprawl. And uh, I think the voters spoke very clearly on that. This obviously needs the city, means the city needs to put things like the core area and the BCD in a situation where they will succeed. We need, it, it can't, this, we're not gonna solve everything through uh, just density, um, but we need, we need livable, complete neighborhoods in the, in the center of our city. Um, and the core area project, which uh, was supported by this previous council uh, was a good start. And um, I'm glad that they all supported it. I think there will be some continuity between the last council and the incoming council on an acknowledgement that we are going to need through infrastructure, through connections east and west and north and south to put the interior of our city in a position where it can develop and, and house a lot of the, the working people who, um, who can't afford to have a house here right now. Um, so we need, we, we, it's not, again, just like it's not okay for us to not take care of um, folks who are experiencing homelessness, I don't think any of us want to live in a community where our police officers, where our teachers, where our nurses have to commute in from outside of Bend in order to, um, to survive here. Um, so the way we do that, I think, is looking inward. And uh, it's holistic also. The, our Affordable Housing Advisory Committee has done a great job of that 60 percent of area median income, 80% of area median income. We have more work to do. Uh, things like reducing the SDCs for, for um, those types of projects. But we need to look at obviously 80% to 100% of area median income. That is the middle income folks who work um, just like all of us, go to work every day and, and, and are still struggling to find an affordable place to live. And um, I think we use some of the same tools that we've used for capital A, affordable housing um, for folks who are in the middle income area also. Anthony, you believe that without a UGB expansion with the existing existing core that we have right now, that it's possible to get to those numbers? I mean, the housing market right now is as hot as if as any kind of boom we've seen. I, I I'm a little I'm just a little skeptical. Not I'm just a little skeptical. No, and I think that we're going to comply with state law. We need to uh, complete our inventory and look at where we really are. Um, but there is, there is land, uh, and I think that you even saw some of the conservative wing of the current council acknowledging this in recent months, that we need to ensure that development is happening. The only way to, the only way to fix an affordable housing problem is to build your way out of it. It's not like transportation. It's not like anything else. 
The only answer here is to provide more different types of options for different levels of income for people in Bend. Is, is the answer simply uh, going to hinge on expanding or not expanding the UGB? No. It's going to be uh, what we do over the next two, four years to ensure that we are providing every level of income in our community with different types of housing. And that, and that the market will support that. And that's what we're hearing from developers. That's what we're hearing from affordable housing experts, that the only way out of this is to build more housing. Sure. Anthony, changing things up a little bit here. So what are you, what are you doing personally to stay sane during these dark days? The campaign's over. So you're, unlike most people, your stress level's probably coming down, but. Uh, I'm catching you know. up on work and uh, connecting <laughs> with my three daughters and I'm getting ready for ski season. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm blessed that I love what I do as a lawyer. So uh, I, that's been, it's been good to have a little more time to focus on my clients and the work that, um, I, that I really enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, just focusing on, on staying safe and uh, connecting with my community in the, the ways that we're able to, you know, through Zoom and calls and 15 feet away, uh, you know, at the, <laughs> the Nordic Center. Cocktails and things like mountain. that. Yeah. Right. Do you, I, I'm just curious when you, uh, when you win an election like you have and you, you know, obviously they don't, they don't pay counselors very well in this town. Do you, uh, how much do you anticipate your work going down? How much do you have to make a life shift in that area? Well, I'm hoping not very much. I'm hoping to sort of subtract from some of the, um, you know, watching football and racing my <laughs> bicycle and skiing and, and doing the things that, um, you know, probably weren't as productive use of my time. I'm hoping that this will dovetail pretty efficiently with my, my current practice. And uh, I, like, I, I have a, a really amazing family who supports me and makes, makes it so that I'm able to, to do this kind of community volunteer work. Um, I, ha, you know, I have stepped back from a lot of the other volunteer work and, and I am stepping back um, from volunteer work for other organizations that I was doing previously. So um, I'm hoping that it's a pretty seamless transition. Anthony, we're closing out our time here. Anything that uh, you want to mention that we haven't brought up or, or yeah, anything you want to say? No, I, I'm just, I'm grateful to uh, this, this community of journalists as a former journalist. I'm really grateful to um, the reporting throughout the COVID pandemic, throughout the election um, that, that everybody in this community has done. It's been really difficult. And I, um, I recognize that it's not just the source, but the other outlets who are working really hard to keep people informed. It's an important part of, of us all keeping each other safe, right? Um, and I, I don't think that can be underestimated, the role that we've had in terms of communicating through, through media and just with our neighbors about wearing masks, washing hands. This is a real disease. Um, and it's really important that we continue to communicate with each other, to keep each other safe, especially for frontline workers uh, like my wife, um, especially for frontline workers like teachers and staff when, when we are able to get back to school. Well, Anthony, thanks for the props to journalists. It was, uh, it was an incredibly difficult political season, I can tell you that. Normally, we, uh, we enjoy all those opportunities to meet face-to-face -face and uh, pre press the flesh as much as candidates do. And uh, it was tough, tough time. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your service and putting yourself out there and taking the time today to, uh, to chat with Laurel and I. Really appreciate Great. it. Thanks, Laurel. Thanks, Aaron. All righty.